0: Turn in your copy of God's Word, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16, as we again return to our verse-by-verse study through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to depart a little bit from the verse-by-verse today, as you know, as we did last week and again next week, as we take a look at some things that are a part of uh, this passage that we're talking about, but over the last, really, three weeks. We've had as our focus the first four verses of 1 Corinthians uh, 16. These verses really have served as our home base to give us an understanding of of, uh, Paul's concern for the church, the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Here the need is the church in Jerusalem. It is the church specifically, of course, but not the church locally there for the Corinthians, but the church uh, far from them. But the passage, as we've noticed, is a general pattern or a standard for all New Testament giving. So it bears examination for us as we understand and wish to understand more about how we're to do deal spiritually with what we have materially there's obviously uh, because Paul was with them for 18 months a whole lot of other teaching that went into this uh, teaching Paul just uses these very few sentences to remind them of what to do we know that he sent Titus there to help stir them up for the gift and so we know some other teaching went on there and so this is a, a passage that bears backfilling a little bit and so that's what we've been doing to kind of help us understand these other things that have come to bear in their minds that we maybe do not know or haven't been exposed to. And so that's my desire. But look, if you would, at to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. We'll read the passage together through verse 4 and then make some comments and begin, again, our, our backfilling of this uh, passage. So if you look at verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. Verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. Verse 3, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Verse 4, and if it is fitting for me also to go also, they will go with me. Let's stop right there. Now, what we have pulled out of that short passage, we've just titled Guidelines for Giving, and we'll just kind of use that general uh, topic and, and uh, title for all that we do here. But we ta- saw a few of those guidelines. I'll review them quickly with you. Uh, number one, giving is the way the church's needs are met. And that's just obvious as we come into the passage. He expects the church to step up. As we looked at Romans chapter 15 and, uh, and saw uh, the, at, at the end of all of this admonition, Paul actually made the collection and delivered it to Jerusalem. We know that they responded well. So uh, we understand giving is the way the church's needs are met. And number two, giving normally occurs as part of worship. And so we saw that in, the, in this part of the sentence on the first day of every week. Paul encourages them as they come together as part of their worship that they give what they're going to give, what they've set aside. We do that as well. It is part of worship uninterrupted. Our desire is really to begin at the beginning with, with musical worship of the Lord, using music to, to adore him. Uh, in the middle of that, to read the word publicly, which Timothy says uh, uh, Paul tells Timothy to do every time they meet together, and then to move into a more of a contemporary type of Uh, musical worship and then straight into our offering and so our desire is really for that to the whole thing to be just a part of the package of your worship to the Lord in a bunch of different ways and then we move into the teaching of the word verse by verse to continue that as we respond to him obedience which is the purest form of worship and adoration of the Lord is to obey his commands and so we then assimilate those commands and and then as we see our life has if it's varied from them we we bring our life in line. If our life is in line with them, we give the Lord praise for revealing that to us, help us to do it better. So uh, we understand how that works. We try to uh, do that here. You can see a little bit of a historical equivalent then. So what he's telling them to do, uh, the church typically does in some way or another. Now, um, first day of every week, of course, as they come together in the first century, that's what they do. For us, uh, we can give really in this modern era, time we'd like to, you can click on a website and you can and you can give, but and you can set it aside and go online and do that, and that may keep you on track a little better, because you, as soon as you're paid or however you prosper, you can give, but I think it's whatever you do, it's still uh, part of the worship that you have for the Lord as you say to him, what I have is out of what you have given me. You've given me everything, and I'm giving back some of that to you. Now, guideline number three we saw contained in the words, each one of you, really has to do with the normal action of a believer. So this is not some other upper echelon Christian who gives of what he has, this is Paul says, "On the first day of the week, each one of you." And and we saw it's superlative, so it is intended to mean each and every one. So everybody's supposed to get involved, and that is how the church's needs are met. So no super Christian does it. Everybody participates in meeting the needs of the church. Then we saw guideline number four, as we are to, as we see, each one of you is to put aside and save. We saw those very important guidelines. Really, it is an, an intentionality uh, with. Uh, identifying an amount to give, to take it out of circulation. That's what it means to put it aside. Take it out of your circulation of your economy and your family and store it up or accumulate it for the collection. And this really puts the brain into action. This allows some rational thought, some evaluation of the need, your ability to meet the need, how you've prioritized your own life and how you can reprioritize it to make sure that you do those things that the Lord has specified. And so these are very important principles for us, of course, very abbreviated and obviously include some other teaching that we need to know. And we're going to look at that, but given guideline number five, as he may prosper is the passage uh, that it's referring to. And this is really what you're giving is based on how the Lord has blessed you. And so however you've prospered, and that may vary week to week. It may vary month to month. It may vary year to year. Uh, It is based on how you've prospered. It doesn't say it has to be a lot. It doesn't say it has to be a little. It just has you evaluate how the Lord has prospered you and brought in income into your household. Out of that, that is the way you evaluate what you can do. And then that becomes really, we'll see this over and over again, really God's measuring rod for your generosity. It's just very straightforward, one-to-one. However you've been prospered and and in, in relation to that that you give, that's the measuring rod for your generosity. So Paul has given them uh, simple guidelines from the New Testament to meeting needs of the church, so he expects them to respond. So he says this, he says, So no collections uh, be made when I come. And so a very important, again, part of that, he's not going to browbeat them when he comes. He's not going to appeal to their emotions and stir them up in some way by showing them some, uh, you know, important uh, pictures or whatever it may be of, of some uh, of the of that outcast or whatever. He's, he's appealing to them, Uh, from a very basic understanding of how the Lord expects uh, the needs to be met inside the church. Uh, He plans to come. He's going to collect what's been given. He's going to go with a group of representatives from the church so there are faces connected with the money from all these Gentile churches making a connection to this church in Jerusalem and saying, we love you. Here we are. We're bringing from this long distance here to you to meet your needs. So he's not going to come and try to convince them after he gets there. He's not going to pass the plate twice. Uh, He wants them to think this through. And he says, understand the need embrace your opportunity, and this will be a time of blessing for them and a time of blessing for you. And we'll see that further as we get to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Now, obviously a large amount of understanding that's implied in Paul's statements. And last week and again this week and perhaps again next week, and I can kind of verify that's going to be the case, I want to address some of those common questions that are connected with this and perhaps could come up based on an experience that you may have that's different than what we see here. And really, this is just an opportunity, if you will, to round out our understanding of biblical teaching on dealing spiritually with material things. And we saw last time together, there are a number of passages in the word of God that are connected to blessing as a result of faithfully giving. This is not some peripheral uh, understanding of the scriptures. It's just everywhere. And last time we looked at Proverbs 22, 4, and it says this, verse 4 says, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. So three things in general, are observed as God's positive reinforcement for humility and the fear of the Lord. That's riches, honor, and life. Now, this is not the first time we see passages like that. Uh, they are everywhere in the scripture. For instance, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, says this. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your, all your produce, verse 10, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, of course, honoring the Lord, if you will, uh, has to do with, how you give it. It has to do with um, using it in a way that reflects his desires and his priorities. This is the way you honor the Lord with your wealth. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4 gives us a way we can do that, as we looked earlier about laying up treasure in heaven. And then the question is, so how do I lay away treasure in heaven? Well, you do it by following the instructions that Paul has given concerning New Testament giving. We honor the Lord when we do what he says. We, uh, when we do it with material things, Uh, We recognize that he's the giver of everything, so we honor him, and he is honored when needs are met, as we'll see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this great thanksgiving given to the Lord because people give and the church's needs are met. We honor him when we're generous and when we're sacrificial. We honor him when we're faithful because he is and does all those things, and so we resemble his nature when we're like that, and of course, because everything we have comes from him, it just seems obvious that that's how we should respond. Now, when we do that then, as we look at Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, uh, we can look to him to, pro- to supply for our needs. We can look to him to provide for our future. Uh, we look to him so he to provide so that we can abundantly share. But of course, as we look at that passage, it's possible that as we've studied those and others that we looked at last week uh, about giving and that being the normal action of worship for all believers and, and, and giving is setting aside and saving a proportion to how you've prospered and of course, knowing that when you do that, uh, that form of worship that God's promised to bless that over and over again in the scriptures, as you read that and as you see those things, uh, you may uh, have been thinking as we go through that, well, I, I see that's true from the word of God, but that doesn't seem to be true from my life. I, I don't seem to lie, that doesn't seem to line up with how I see the Lord has, has promised for that to happen. And if that's the case, then these messages are for you, and they're designed really to be a survey of the scriptures, and that's all we're going to do. Uh, Instead of verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 16, we're taking a pause for a couple of weeks and we want to do a survey to help us evaluate our own position. As I said last week, I'm not pretending to know every possible situation uh, or how God is working in your life at the moment. It's simply this. I'm just going to look at some very straightforward passages from the Word of God with the things that we do know are true and then let the Holy Spirit through God's Word reveal to you perhaps how that applies or does not apply. Now, we looked at a few questions last week that could help evaluate what our position may be from the Word of God, and, I'm, and we kind of stopped partway through because we ran out of time, so I'm going to sum those up quickly and then move on to the ones we didn't get to. So in just the next few minutes, I'm going to give these to you. If you missed them, you can certainly log on, and you can catch that in archives on, the, on our website and catch them in, at length. This time, I'm just going to just abbreviate them, and, uh, and then, Lord willing, we're going to answer a question, do I love money? Because really, that's the ultimate question we need to ask because we see that over and over again, to not do that. So we're going to ask a few questions that all really fall under that category, do I love money, and we'll ask that question, and there's some very important passages that help us figure that out. And so uh, this is really a departure, as we said, from our norm, and and we're going to return to that study here in just a couple weeks. Now, this undergird, uh, undergird, if you will, Paul's very simple direct passages in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. So we asked last time, question one, am I selfish? Do I not have what I need? Am I not been blessed back by the Lord because I'm just selfish? And, and, in other words, I've been keeping what I'm supposed to be giving away. So in other words, I've, I've kind of claimed that. There's a portion of my, what I've prospered that should have been given away, but it wasn't given away. I just used it for myself. And so uh, in order to give it, of course, you have to be putting it away and taking it out of circulation. And if you're not doing that, then it's going to be difficult for the Lord then to be involved in your economy uh, and, and then fulfill the promises that he said are true about faithful giving. And so Proverbs 11, 24, uh, this may apply to you. There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. In other words, there's somebody who's very generous, and yet it seems like he wouldn't have enough, and yet he has more than enough. And there's one who withholds what is justly due. In other words, doesn't set aside uh, what they should be setting aside in proportion to how they've been given, and yet it results only in what? It would seem like that person would be more wealthy because they're not giving away, they're just hoarding it. And yet that's not the observation from Proverbs. And the generous man will be prosperous, just in general, and he who waters will himself be watered. And that's just general principles from the word of God that help us understand that God cares about those who have need, and he cares about those who are meeting the need, and he makes sure that both have what they need. And so you, you may not have enough because you withhold what you should give. And really the remedy, as we've looked at this over and over again, the rem, as we just think about remedy, so if this is me, then how can I fix it? Well, it's just obvious, right? Respond to the Lord's instructions and give you know, start setting some aside and taking it out of circulation and saying, okay, in proportion to what I've been given from the Lord, this is the amount I'm going to give back. Committed, faithful, sacrificial, generous giving through the local church for the advancement of the kingdom. And that's the model that we have. That type of giving through the local church, that's the primary vehicle to do what the Lord has responded and told us to respond to. And the New Testament is modeled in giving that way. Now, Respond to the Lord's instruction and share. Respond to the Lord's instructions and meet needs. Respond to the Lord's instructions and meet immediate need. So just start, okay? If, if you find that that's not where you are, you find you don't have enough to give, and you find that maybe you've been holding back and using what should have been set aside, just change that course, all right? That puts the Lord in that then evaluation of what you're doing. It puts him right inside your economy of your family. Question two, am I impulsive? Do I not have my need because I'm impulsive? Proverbs 21.5 says this, you know, and nobody's immune to this, right? I mean, really, if you think about it, and you, how many watched football yesterday and you're going to watch it again today and tomorrow night? You know, every, every, almost every single advertisement, it is geared to make us dissatisfied with what we have and want something else, is it not? I mean, that's the whole point of advertising. And so to exchange what we've got for something smaller or bigger or shinier or faster or whatever. And so that that appeals to everyone. It's designed to do that. If you go on Facebook and you click on anything, it is super efficient at making sure that comes up on the side because you looked at this before, you know, and we've got some suggestions for you. So it's just geared for that, okay? So no one's immune to that. And, you know, using what the Lord has given uh, is okay. You know, First Timothy 6 tells us, the Lord's given us richly all things to enjoy. It's not a, that's not a sin. Having more is not a sin, and having less uh, is not more spiritual. It's what you think about what you have and how you use what you have That's the evaluation and so as we look at that as we look at this as am I impulsive you know listen the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage but everyone who's hasty comes surely to poverty and the fact of the matter is that if we're we're impulsive in the how we spend what we have uh, we're going to have a problem and the remedy to that problem of course is planning and budgeting. And prioritizing, and maybe having an accountability partner or let the person in your family who's least impulsive handle the finances on a regular basis. And so, you know, a lot of us men understand that that's our wives, and so we put them in charge of that long ago. All right, that's good. That's not a bad thing. So, third question. Uh, So, first thing, am I selfish? Secondly, am I impulsive? Third, am I lazy? Do I not have what I need because I'm lazy? You know, and and we talked about this last time. I won't go through it all. There's so many observations in the scripture. And of course, our culture reflects this in, in the way our welfare system is set up. Uh, without the checks and balances that should be there we'll talk about all that but just this proverbs ten four uh, and 5 poor is he who works with a negligent hand but the hand of the diligent makes rich he who gathers in the summer is a, is a son who acts wisely but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully you know and the lord told adam by the sweat of his brow he would what eat bread right from the very start after after the world was wrecked the lord said okay you know i'm going to fix it but in the meantime this is how you're going to bring in your income You're going to work hard. You know, and and the model for us through the scriptures is that we were made to work. Uh, Paul told us in Titus chapter 2, verse 9, hard work adorns the gospel. I said this last time, a number of you came to me and said, where is that again? You know, hard work adorns the gospel. In other words, when you work hard, you reflect well on the gospel to unbelievers. They watch your work ethic and say, wow, you know, that's different than how the world works. And so lots of passages there. We won't go through that fixes for this. You want a remedy? You know, listen, realize that laziness is a sin and ask for forgiveness. Um, Realize it hurts your testimony. Realize it keeps you in a place where God can't bless you, where you won't have what you need. Fourth question, am I undisciplined? Do I not have what I need because I'm undisciplined? And, you know, these things are all connected to each other. And I don't want to try to make a point where there isn't a point. But I think that it's possible uh, to be impulsive and undisciplined. It's possible to be lazy and impulsive or selfish and impulsive. You know, or either one, any of those separately, you'll end up in the same exact spot because really it has to do with willfulness, okay? It has to do with willfulness. This is someone who sees what the word of God says and just won't change or has a, a, a brother or sister in Christ who speaks into their life and they're just gonna do what they're gonna do. And, and the problem with that is it really put, um, it puts you in a position where the Lord is not able to be in a factor in how your finances work in your house, see? and And so, you know, putting some aside, saving taking out of out of uh, circulation. See, those things are hearing, they're falling on the ears, but they're not being put into action, see. It's just a willfulness, I'm not going to do it. Uh, remember Proverbs 13, 18, you know, poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored, see, and, and, and it may just be the reproof of the word of God. It's just saying, okay, I'm falling into that, you know, 90 or 85% of people in the church who don't give anything, and not part of the 10 or 15% of the people who really take care of all the needs of the church, see. I'm falling into the big category, and that's not right. It's not where I should be. And yet a willfulness or an undisciplinedness, really, in your life will be that you won't respond. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, and self-control is part of the remedy. When it comes to finances, as with any other area of our life, we have to see what the Word of God says and then mold our own will into conformity with what the Lord has to say. Or Proverbs 13 says poverty and shame will come to you. And listen, it won't be because you don't have good intentions or you're not a nice person or because you're not faithful in church. Okay, you may be all of those, You may be very nice. You may be have great intentions. The problem will be is that you're not putting to, putting to work what the Lord has said that you should do, and just be because you're willful with money. Number five, am I indulgent? Do I not have what I need? Because I'm indulgent. And and here's the deal. Proverbs twenty one seventeen really addresses this issue. It says, um, "He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. Um, there is precious." treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. And it really deals with, as we've talked about before, the average American household spends a dollar and seventeen cents for every dollar they make. Well, listen, if you're in that if you're in that position in the average American household and the average credit card debt for each credit card, six average credit cards per household, the average debt five thousand dollars per credit card. Listen, if you're in that position, you're spending money God hasn't even given you yet, and there's no way you'll ever have what you need to give and set aside and take it out of circulation unless you just put it on your credit card, which is not what the Lord wants you to do. You're imposing on the Lord for what you haven't even made yet, see? And so what ends up happening is we're just kind of consuming that because we're indulgent, and it really deals with consuming everything that comes in. And large credit card debt on things like eating out and entertainment will leave us nothing to show for that purchase. You'll be paying on that purchase for years, but you'll have not, you won't have a washing machine there. You won't have a car in the driveway. You're not going to have a, a house to live in. What you'll have is debt with nothing to show for it, see. And so that's just the admonition. And there's nothing wrong with going out to eat. And there's nothing wrong with having entertainment. It's, th- it's the matter of planning, see. It's a matter of saying, okay, what do I have actually that's available to do those things with? You know, and you, maybe you use envelopes or whatever you do, like Laura and I did early in our marriage, where you just kind of set aside uh, what's not spoken for in bills, and this is what we need for gas, this is what we need for entertainment, this is what we need for clothing, you know, those kind of things. And when that money is gone, it's gone. And so you don't go out and spend more because, because you've run out. You you evaluate and all that kind of thing. And you're setting a sum aside and you're taking out of circulation, and you're and this is the way you do that. So you overcome these issues. And we finished with this last time, Proverbs 23, 20, but I think it's worthy. Uh, to be said again, you have got to hang out with people who have the same mind as you, <laughs> all right? Because if you're if you're of, of a mind to to not consume everything that comes in, but you're hanging out with folks that that's all they want to do is go out to eat and go out for entertainment and go see a concert and all the kinds of stuff. But there's nothing wrong with those things. But if you don't have the disposable income to do them, then you're just kind of spending money that you don't have and that you're you're then going back to the first one. You know, you're selfish, you're just holding back what you should have given, you're using for you what should have been set aside to give. And so don't be with, that's the idea, don't be with heavy drinkers of wine, that's people who practice drunkenness. Don't be with gluttonous eaters of meat, that's people who overeat. Uh, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. And those are just a few of the ways that indulgence then with wealth will bring you to poverty and leave you with nothing to give and unable to obey the guidelines that we find very simply in First, First Corinthians 16, 1-4 so planning and budgeting and using cash and here's the deal setting your schedule as we said last time setting your schedule in such a way that you can actually eat at home with your family and not being relying on restaurants all the time because of the way your schedule's packed in that that's the only way you're going to be able to make sure your family's fed now just a few more and there's a lot of scenarios and again I'm not pretending to to know all of them I'm just saying this if the scripture tells us that each one each and every one is to put aside and save as they've prospered so that they can give and some say they can't do that, then here's the deal. There is a problem somewhere in how that's being processed in that life, okay? It's very simple. I mean, it can't be anything else. If Scripture says that's what you're supposed to do, then he's given us and equipped us to do it as we prospered, whatever that is, small or great, okay? So question six, and this is your first question in your your notes, so you can fill this in uh, as we stop partway through. I just tried to make that clear. So this is question one in your notes. Am I a schemer? Do I not have what I need because I'm a schemer? Proverbs twenty-eight eighteen kind of talks about that. You know, everybody knows folks like this. He who walks blamelessly will be delivered, but he who is crooked will fall all at once. Verse 19, he who tills his, his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. A faithful man will abound with blessing, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. Now, just a general inspired observation about how life works Uh, Blamelessness has to do with what's right and fair. So he who is blameless will be delivered. So in other words, versus crooked ways, versus underhanded ways in order to bring in wealth. You know, working like we saw, he who tills his land will have plenty of food. Working like we saw provides for needs. Faithfully putting in, you know, a full day's work for a full day's pay. uh, All other things being equal, you're not consuming more than's coming in. You'll have what you need and that's, that's versus following empty pursuits and, and things that perhaps will get you rich quickly. Faithful, which is following God's instructions for material things, versus trying to get rich at all costs or whatever it is, see? So am I selfish, la- impulsive, lazy, undisciplined, indulgent, a schemer? These are all just questions that we want to be able to say no to, okay? Just a few more. Uh, question seven, this is number two in your notes. Am I really in need of more, or do I just want to raise my style of living? And this really requires a lot of, a lot of discernment. Okay? A lot of discernment, um, as all these things do. But I love Psalm 127, 1 and 2. It is so full of wisdom uh, in regard to planning, but it's also rich in the Lord's provision. Psalm 127, 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Isn't that great? You can be working hard to build whatever it is around you, but unless the Lord builds it, you're laboring in vain. Uh, unless Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. The Lord is in all those issues. It is vain, I love this part, it's vain for you to rise up early and retire late to eat the bread of painful labors. Catch this, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. And that's not saying don't work hard because we see that everywhere else in scripture. All it's saying is it's just dealing with being addicted to work. It's it's dealing with desiring to raise your level of lifestyle to a level that you think is, is commensurate with who you are or whatever. That's a workaholic. It really has to do with chasing at hard after material things above all else, see? Chasing the dream above everything else. You know, starting with one house and living a couple years, and then you're moving up to another one and a way bigger mortgage and then another one, because that's commensurate with your level of whatever you've arrived at, see? And it's, it, you know, Psalm says this, it's, 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 um, it's vain for you to rise up early, retire late, eat the bread of painful labors. He gives to his beloved even in their sleep. See, who's that? Those are the ones that, you know, you respond to the Lord's in obedience as he gives you instruction concerning all of the areas of your life. He's able to give to you, and you don't even lift a hand, see? And all of us, if you've been in that position where you've been obedient to the Lord, you know how that works, okay? Psalm 102, 24. O oh Lord, how many are your works in wisdom? You've made them all. The earth is full of your possessions so ultimately as we see this over and over again who owns everything the lord does does it all belong to him every scrap everything 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 in the mines everything on this on the hills the hills themselves everything belongs to the lord so everything we have comes from him right how many are your works and wisdom you've made them all the earth is full of your possessions it is his to give as he sees fit He prospers you in a greater or lesser amount as he sees fit. And when you honor him with what you have, he can bless you, whatever it is, see. And I'm personally reading through the Proverbs right now as part of my my quiet time, so they're very fresh in my mind, which is why you're getting a lot of them. But Proverbs 15, uh, 15 says this, All the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. In other words, you may be going through a difficult time, but a heart that's cheerful, a heart that's relying on the Lord, it's a continuous feast for you, see. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fat and doc served with hatred. And the balance there is this. You know, there's a lot more to life than just a fat wallet. See? And raising your lifestyle. Ecclesiastes 4.6. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. 1 Timothy 6, 6-9, and we're going to look at this again in just a moment and go through it verse by verse because it is so full. But here's where Paul, that's what Paul tells Timothy, this, this young pastor who's in Ephesus at this time. He says this, a really key passage as it deals with attitude and desire. It says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have, been, we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Verse 9, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. And we, uh, you know, we're going to return to this passage again and, and just a little bit later and really take it in, it's so rich. But it really takes much discernment to determine the motive of our desire. Okay? I mean, some wrong heart attitudes. You know, you feel you deserve to live better than you do. Because Paul says, you know, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content, right? Could you say that? Can you say, if we just have food and covering, I'd be content? See. Okay. Or you think you should be further ahead than you are at this time of your life. Or, or having things and doing things makes you feel better about yourself. Or, you know, you, you can't remember the last time you thank God for what you have. See. What's my motivation for wanting more? Why do I desire more? And here's the question. How have I handled what I have already? It's not, it's not, uh, you know, as we said many times, it's not, you know, can I get more and could I have more? It's what are you doing with the 20 bucks you got now? See? And just as a footnote for clarity, okay? We're not talking about working hard for someone else. You should be working hard for someone else. See, we're not, I'm content with my level of output in my job right now. Okay, don't misapply that, okay? If you're working for someone else, And there's a level of output that's required from you, and you should be given that more. And and who is our illustration of that? That's Joseph, right? So Joseph goes from being in prison to being second in command in in the largest country in the Middle East at that point, the most powerful country. But he did that how? Did that by providing more uh, labor than was even expected. Joseph worked for the glory of the Lord. He adorned the gospel and made his way up, and he was in charge of everything, even the bread and Potiphar's table. See, so we're, talking about, we're not talking about, okay, I'm content with the level I'm putting out here. I'm not going to work any harder. I'm not going to take on any more. Of course, we all know in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the workplace that if you take on more, you usually get to do that at plus everything else you did before. So we understand how that works, right? You, you say, okay, I can cover that. And they'll say, okay. And you, you also get to cover everything you've been covering. They don't ever bring anybody else in. And that's the way it is. But you adorn the gospel, okay? We understand that's how it is. And so we're not talking about being content with some lower level of output if you're working for someone else. What we're talking about is, what is my desire to continue to move up the ladder? Okay, and it's, it's not bad to move up the ladder. It's not, you won't have anything if the Lord doesn't give it to you. The issue is, what are you doing with what you have now? How are you evaluating your own life? It, does it include things like, you know, I deserve to have better than I have? I want to have a nicer house than I have. I think that's appropriate. You know, I, I should be further ahead than I am right now, and I'm, so I'm going to take makeup for lost time. Whatever it is, see? and then you know this other question we're going to deal with in a minute which again has to do with uh, you know kind of character things and and attitude make sure that your character is free from the love of money and again uh, this attitude be content with what you have because it always has to do with how you feel about what you have and not about how much or how little you've prospered where do you set your heart see for he himself has said i'll never desert you and i'll never forsake you and 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 as we think about the you know what you've done with what you have see all those other questions play into this one as the pathway in which it was done, see? So, you know, did you hold back what you should have given? Did you consume everything that, you know, that came in? Because that's all part of, that's our part of having a character that loves money, see? And satisfied with money. And being, you know, putting your hope on money. All those things that the Scripture says, we're, that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do, see? But all those things play into that attitude of contentment and love. Next question, am I paying for a time when I robbed God? Now, It's interesting, as we talk about a lot of these things that have to do with the blessing of the Lord and his chastening, because it's a sowing and reaping principle, isn't it? Always given to us in that respect. Now, when I plant my garden in May or April, I don't go out the next week and and expect to pick tomatoes. Okay, There is a sowing, and then there's a reaping. And it works the same way with everything in the scriptures so as the Lord gives us much time to change our course. But perhaps you're paying for a time when you robbed God. In other words, you held back what you should have given. You've been consuming more than what the Lord has given you. And now you're in a place where it's just a, it's a time where the Lord's collecting what's owed. And tell me this. Do you remember this? The Hebrew children were sent to captivity. Do you remember the number one reason why they were sent to captivity? I mean, obviously they were wicked. Obviously they were worshiping idols. But what was the reason the Lord told them they were sent? Do you remember? is because they didn't let the land rest. They never, never did that. And they were sent away for 70 years, which made up for the time that they should have been doing what they were supposed to do, see? And that's interesting that there was a sowing and reaping and the Lord just says, okay, I'm gonna send you away from the land and we're gonna catch up here, okay? Now there was lots of other reasons why the Lord put them out of the land and he warned them early on when they came in this is going to be the case for you if you don't follow my instructions I'm going to I'm going to vomit you out of the land just like I did the people who were before you but when he gives it a reason he says listen you didn't obey my commands concerning the land and so you're out but Malachi 3 8 through 12 really gives us um, this idea and of course this is the Lord dealing with Israel and we're not Israel but the principles are there and we'll look at those the thing about it the people are back in the land. Things are not going well. The Lord, through his prophet, brings up a few things, and he says this. Here's the question. Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. And, of course, this is all a question and answer kind of thing as you look at Malachi, the Italian prophet, and, and they're all interacting with him, and they say this. They say, you know, how are we doing that? And he says, well, you know, in tithes and offerings. That's how, you're, that's how you're robbing me, and you're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. And so here's the thing. You could be living with the fruit of your past. You know, and I'm not saying that you are, and I'm saying I know every situation. I'm just saying you may be living with the fruit of your past, a, a, a lifestyle over time of withholding what you're supposed to be setting aside and giving, whatever it is, consuming everything that comes in, and now you're in a position where you're in a lot of debt, you don't have any, anything, you know, the, you know, the month uh, still, is still going when the money runs out and all of that, okay? So, you know, habits we talked about where you misuse what God's given you. You know, and, and again, we have this example from Israel. But these are really solid principles we don't we don't live in a theocracy okay where where the tithe went to support the priest and the government and that was known as required giving we don't live in a theocracy we live where we pay taxes right and and romans chapter 13 says we're supposed to pay them okay and and the offering though is mentioned here right and that's a free will offering just like what we're talking about right now but they were both ignored here according to uh the prophet he says you know God speaks to them, hey, you're robbing me, how are you robbing me? Well, tithes, that's required giving for the theocracy. And offerings, which is the, uh, the amount that you bring out of a, a heart that loves the Lord and responding to him. Both were ignored, they're having trouble. What's the remedy? Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that I may, there may be food in my house. So again, the theocracy is supported by this tithe, this required giving. And test me now in this, says the Lord. If I'll not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I'll rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, and nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, the whole passage can be abused, and all that language forced into the New Testament, and we're not going to do that, okay? However, I think you can see the basic idea that the Lord expects. You know, everyone to participate in the meeting of the needs because that's what the church does and everybody's supposed to do it, see? And giving in generous, sacrificial, and proportionate ways is the way the Lord has expected uh, you to respond and me to respond. It's the normal action of those who are the Lord's. And when we don't do that, we can find ourselves in the position of being disciplined by him. It's like, okay, well, you're not gonna obey me just like in other areas. I'll have to bring some discipline on you. And Hebrews 12, 5 through 13 really deals with with discipline. You can read that on your own later, but just this last part, the writer gives the remedy, which is the remedy here too. Um, as we think about perhaps a time where we're paying for a time when we robbed God, therefore he says, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, uh, and make straight paths for your feet. In other words, listen, get your head up, understand the Lord may be dealing with you in a disciplined way. And if he's doing that, then just get your head up. Know that it, as we saw, you'd see earlier in this passage, uh, that he loves you, and if he didn't love you, he wouldn't be doing this. And so, lift up your head, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet. Start doing what you're supposed to do. In other words, so that what's lame may not be put out of joint. In other words, so he doesn't have to keep on disciplining you more severely. Instead, rather be healed. See, realize the Lord chastens those he loves. Seek his forgiveness. Show him that you have learned your lesson. See, begin to do what you're supposed to do. Respond. That's that's the purest form of of uh, forgiveness is not seeking forgiveness from someone is to change course doing what's right with what he's provided next question do I not have what I need because of some other area I'm disobedient in, in my life and these all fall in you know to the same I think category here so you know when you're walking in disobedience in some other area you're not going to be able to discern the Lord's will for you see and so you might not going to be able to see needs and meet them you're going to miss all those things because the Holy Spirit is quenched and you're walking in disobedience and the Lord may be. Uh, disciplining you for that. If you're out of fellowship with him, he can use financial hardship to get your attention. And again, like the question before, he loves those who are his, and so his disciplines uh, for us are for our good, and because he loves us and cares for us and likes and wants us to be back in fellowship with him in obedience. Next question. Is God trying to teach me something? And it's just a general category. I mean, there could be all kinds of things, all kinds of reasons. not pretending to know every possible circumstance. Please don't Misunderstand me. I don't know what the Lord's doing in your life. I don't pretend like I, I do, okay? I'm just throwing these out there. The Holy Spirit is very good about applying them as he sees fit. So do I not have enough because God's tried to teach me some certain thing? And we've looked at Luke 16.10 before, and we're going to look at it again in more depth. But here's the deal. I love this. Um, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much... And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Verse 11, therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of, catch this, this is the little thing, unrighteous wealth. We think that's a big thing, right? But God says that's a little thing. If you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? What are those? What, what are true riches, right? Um, good character, good testimony, you know, spiritual maturity, uh, fruit of the spirit being born, you know um, fruit of witness, all those are, those are true riches, right I mean those are the things that the kingdom says will shine forever. those are the things that go with you as part of your character when you go to heaven, it, those parts will be where you glorify the Lord in those things that 's what stays with you. Those are true riches not, uh, the things that aren 't true riches is unrighteous wealth, but the Lord says if you 're not faithful in this little thing um, who 's going to entrust true riches to you, and if you 've not been faithful in the use of what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now, again, same exact illustration. What's the other person's stuff? What is that? That's, that's monetary wealth, right? That belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? He gives all, I mean, anything you have is from him. If you've not been faithful in what he's given you, what belonged to somebody else, how will you be faithful in what, that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in wealth. Verse 14, now the Pharisees, I catch this, always the people are included there that you don't want to be like. Why are they always in there? These are the, this is the antithesis of what you want to be like. So he throws it in there. Here's what they say, okay? So, and the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and scoffing at him. Typical. And he says to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. In other words, you think think that wealth is important and that's the way God has shown that he's blessed you and yet your heart is far from me. Listen, what you think is that great, that isn't that great, okay? Now, what's the topic of these verses? I mean, it's really straightforward. It's what? It's money. I mean, that is the topic of those verses. And, And here's the thing. Maybe your shortfall is because he's looking for a hard attitude in you that isn't currently there. Maybe he is shaping you for kingdom work, and so he's using difficult financial times to make you all the more reliant on him, and where you just respond to him in obedience regardless of whether you have a lot or you have a little. And you're just being in proportion to how you've been blessed. You're just going to be faithful. And it doesn't matter. You're going to be like the Macedonians. In the wealth, uh, in all the difficulty they had, they had a wealth of liberality. They just said, okay, I'm going to be faithful no matter what. And I love that they're the example in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, those who didn't have very much, because it makes it easy for all of us to relate to that when we're going through difficult times, see? Maybe he's helping you work on priorities. Maybe that's why it's a difficult time for you right now. Maybe he's trying to refine you. Maybe he's, you know, this is a test from the Lord to see if you're going to be focused and see if you'll be faithful in a little thing. See? Maybe, maybe he wants to develop a more intimate prayer life with you. That'll do it, won't it? Difficult financial times, all of a sudden, you're having a lot of prayer life with the Lord. And other things, too. Difficult people, difficult you know, hardships that you're through, going through, health issues. That'll bring you right to the throne all, right away. Right? If that's been your habit before, you're right back there. And that, the Lord loves that, see? And those things may be the remedy, right? I mean, changing those things, heart attitude, you know, realizing he's shaping you for kingdom work and you're ready, you know, you know shaping your priorities, refining you, you know, see if you're focused and you're going to be faithful in a little thing. See, all that kind of stuff, that's the remedy. You begin to respond correctly. Maybe that's it, I don't know. And so as, as, as James 1, 2, and 3, 4 says this, he says this, Consider it all joy then, brethren, when you encounter various trials, maybe it's this, maybe it has to do with finances, maybe it has to do with health, maybe it has to do with um, difficult times in your job, or, or whatever that may be, your marriage. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? It's like, why would I think that would be fun? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Be content to be where you are, right? If it's a difficult time you're having, uh, respond correctly to the Lord. uh, Respond as he has clearly shown you to respond. As we deal with this issue, respond spiritually with material material things. That's God's desire for you. Mature, complete, lacking nothing. And sometimes he uses financial trials to accomplish those things. And you may experience any of those things or none of those things. They may not apply to you at all. God might be using your life, and we said this before, to prove a heavenly point. Job had no idea what was going on in heaven in a conversation concerning him. And all of us hope that God's not having any conversations with Satan concerning us, right? We prefer that not to be the case. But maybe the Lord's proving a heavenly point through your life. And he's bringing you through a very difficult time. And maybe it's financial, maybe it's health, maybe it's whatever. And so the Lord's proving a a heavenly point through the way that you respond to the difficult times that come to your life. Because, you know, what about Job? Everything material was stripped from him. Did that change his course at all? Not a bit. Naked if I come from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. And yet, he always said he would praise the Lord, right? He did. I mean, it grieved him greatly that he lost, some things that he lost, but he didn't, wa- he didn't waver in his faith. And so what did Satan have to do? Well, Lord, yeah. I mean, first he said, take away all he has, he'll curse you. And that didn't work. And he's like, well... All right, well, if you take away his health, then he'll curse you. And then the Lord said, okay, take away his health. You can't harm his light, can't take his life, but take away his health. See what happens. And so a heavenly point gets proven. And Job comes along in his walk with the Lord too, doesn't he? Job learns some things from seeing that he only heard with his ears, That said. Now he's seen them. So here's the deal. Maybe it's a heavenly point that's getting proven. Maybe God's trying to Teach us some certain thing, and so we look at we look at verse two first Corinthians sixteen and it says, on the first day of every week, each one of you is put aside and save as he may prosper, and we deal uh, with the issues we bring our lives in line then with god 's plan, so that we can have him in the process and most of all for his glory and you know we get there by asking, okay, all right, what does the Bible say? What does it mean by what it says How do I respond to that. How that apply to me? And then we begin to apply that, see? Now, here's the big question, and we're going to just wrap up with this. We only got a few more minutes. Here's the question that's underneath all those things, okay? And we see, we've seen already several passages that deal with this, so I want to deal with this. And we only got a few, Just we've got enough time to get, I think, two points here. We'll finish this up next time. Do I love money? Do I not have what I need because I'm trying to serve two masters, as we saw in Luke? See, and the scripture takes some time to deal with this, and so we will, too, and, and we'll end with some of these thoughts. And, and really, most of the other questions, as you can see, are, are connected to this question. Am I selfish? That's because I love money, right? Am, am I impulsive? That's because I love money. Am I impulsive? Am I willful? Uh, you know, I love money more than I want to obey. You know, am I indulgent? I love money and I love stuff, and I'm just gonna buy that stuff and I'm gonna overextend myself. You know, am I a schemer because I love money? I want more money and I want it faster, see? Um, I just want to raise my style of living because I love what money provides for me and the the padding it puts on my life. Have I robbed God to do the things I want to do because I love money? See, that's the thing. The writer of Hebrews addresses it, Hebrews 13, 5. He says this. He says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Free. Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. In other words, don't love money. Why? Because this type of desire is the opposite of contentment. And ultimately, God is the one who takes care of us, and our joy and our security ultimately come from him. Now, a few passages, again, in my mind, of course, are the Proverbs ones because I'm there. But Proverbs 15, 27 says, He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house. So again, some observations that if you love money and you're just greedy for gain, you're going to mess up your entire house. Ecclesiastes 5:10: He who loves silver won't be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. Now, you may or may not not like the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm not a big fan. I think when somebody says to the Lord, so I just treated myself to everything money could buy to see if it was vanity. Well, I'm sorry for your hardship. But the bottom line is the lessons we can learn there are important, okay? And as he looks at that, he says, you know, if you love silver, you won't be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. So here's the deal. What's the love of money the scripture speaks about? 1 Timothy 6, 9, I think is our main passage. And it really talks about very specifically what um, Timothy is to teach the church. And he says this, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. So this is speaking of the general principle of loving money and those who are in the faith who've wandered away down this path. So it takes in... The general principle for the world that hey, if you love money, you're gonna fall into a lot of temptation and snare and many foolish and harmful desires. And if you just wanna look at one section of our community, look at our pro athletes, okay? Who as a young person, perhaps never knew how to rein themselves in and moved right up into a professional uh, career, which provides an unbelievable amount of money to just do the things they've been doing when they were a kid at a much greater and, and, uh, greater and lower level, if you will, of morality, right? Just look at our pro-athletes or, or any other, you know, look at Hollywood and we're paying people that pretend that they're a doctor and they make a hundred times more than a doctor makes and they use that to just be more uh, decadent, see? So we understand in general that, a pro, that, that uh, policy applies and then specifically for those who have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So it takes us really back to question seven, Do I want to just raise my lifestyle? But the idea expressed here is a longing for, see, an inordinate, undue, unreasonable desire for. That's the verb that has to do with stretching out the hand for, some for longing for. So they stretched out their hand and they desire that. And scripture tells us that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And and, and I can say, I think it's easy to see that, right? that love produces all these kinds of things that are very negative. It's always in front of us. It's a powerful force. You know, it, it's easy to become completely captivated by it, see? And it's easy to become anxious about the economy, right? And, and, uh, and the result is the same because we place our hope in money because the economy is unsure. So we, we think if we have a big portfolio, a large bank account, we're insulated from a rough economy. Again, we're putting our, our hope and our faith and, and our love in something that the Lord says, do not put your hope there. See, don't set your hope on things and on money. Set your hope on the Lord who richly provides us all things to enjoy. See, so again, um, and really, I think all the other questions, as we said, comes back to this underlying problem of the love of money, and we end up not having what we need because the Lord's not in that equation. And so with all the warnings there, how do I, how do I take the simple principles, this information, and connect it to my life? And that's why I want to go into this. This, this, is, this is the overall remedy. And so in other words, we want to say no to all the other questions. These next questions we want to be able to say yes to. This is the remedy for the love of money, which is all the other stuff kind of piled up under that, okay? And all the other symptoms, how whatever they are, being selfish or holding back more than what was we should hold back and not not watering and all whatever it is, so it all just kind of falls, I think, underneath this whole umbrella of. Loving money. So, in other words, how do I start answering yes to some questions that are going to get me on the right track? That's the next section, and we'll just have time for two, and we're going to give them to you right now. But in general, there's, there's some instructions on, on, that can be obeyed, okay? And as we, uh, you know, we know the principles of God's word, God's word. They don't exist in a vacuum. Okay, if we, if we see the principle, which I try to do for you, just give you the handholds of the passage as we work our way through, there are principles there, and these are to be obeyed. They're not in a vacuum. Well, that's a nice principle, and that's a nice principle. It, those are things that are supposed to be incorporated, see? And so as we looked all through 1 Corinthians, all the way through the first 15 chapters, we saw all kinds of principles, didn't we? And those are supposed to be incorporated, that we might be sanctified and more like Christ. And it's the same as we get to chapter 16, concerning the setting everyone setting aside and saving to give. And so there's some instructions about life, and they can be obeyed. But I think in general, we, we, you know to start thinking spiritually about material things, there's two things I want you to remember, okay? We've looked at all these passages and, and all kinds of uh, separate parts of passages that deal with parts of this, so I think you can see this pretty easily. Number one, God gives us the power to get wealth, and we saw that in Deuteronomy very clearly. Everything belongs to him. So if you have anything, he's given you the power to do it, whether it is the brain power, whether it's the connections, uh, whether it's your ability, or whatever it is. See, he's given you that, all of that. It all belongs to him, and he's given you the power to get wealth, so that really all that comes is really his. Everything's his because he's given you the ability to get it, and it all belonged to him to begin with. So I think that's a very simple one-to-one. Number two, um, he's given this wealth as a stewardship. It really becomes a test of your and my morality. I mean, if you get right down to it, how you spend what you have really tells where you've set your heart. He's the one who gives it, he distributes it to whomever he wants to, however he wants to do it. And, and this is our basis uh, for our approach to material things, see. We saw really easily from Deuteronomy 7, from the Psalms, all through the Proverbs, over and over, these very same principles, over and over, are given to us. Now, if you, if you want to, you can look quickly with me, 1 Timothy 6, and you can make some notes. I'm going to put it on the screen, but you can make some notes, uh, in this passage, I think they're very, very important on, in your margin. As you read these things, This is this, you want to answer yes to these questions, or be able to answer yes. I want to be able to answer yes to these questions, and so hopefully this will help you. Hopefully you were able to say no to the other things uh, and yes to these. Now, and if you begin to say yes to these questions, I think at that point, you begin uh, this journey down the path of his blessing as it has to do with material things, and you'll be able to relate to, very clearly, what we see in First Corinthians 16, 1-4. You'll be able to do that. You'll be able to set aside, take it out of circulation, save it and give it, meet immediate needs, all the things that we know the Lord considers important uh, and that he blesses. You'll be able to do that when you start saying yes to these things. First Timothy 6, 7, For we have brought nothing into the world, and so we can take nothing out of it either. Number one, are you ready to agree with God that everything you have comes from him? You brought nothing into the world, and you're going to take nothing out of it. So that means that anything that you have in the intervening time, that all belongs to him. Can you agree with God and say, yes, everything I have is belongs to him. And that could be a big step for some because you may have imagined that because of your expertise that you have what you have or you have a lot more than everybody else just because you're really good at X. But I think that that has to be set aside. If we understand scriptural principles about wealth and dealing spiritually with wealth, we have to say, okay, I'm ready to agree with God that everything I have comes from him. You have no ability, I have no ability, no power to bring anything into the world. I have no ability, no power to bring anything out of the world, and that includes everything we use to bring in money, our intellect, our talents, our connections, our wisdom, our you know, people who have given it to us through, through inheritance or through gifts or whatever it is. So you've got no power over that. The Lord directs all those things in his providence because he is in charge of all of it, and it belongs to him. So you didn't bring anything in. You have no power to bring it back. So, you know, the Corinthians were boasting about their abilities, you know, judging each other on each other's shortcomings. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, remember this, he says, um, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received, did receive it, why do you boast as if you'd not received it? And so just very straightforward rhetorical questions. What do you have that you didn't receive? A big nothing. And if you did receive it then, if that's the case, then why do you brag as if you hadn't received it? I don't know. Now look at the next verse, and we'll close with 1 Timothy 6.8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Now, if we only had that, we would fall into the 90 percentile of the rest of the world, wouldn't we? For the most part. And here's the deal. Can you say yes to God that you'd be content with just those things? Now, it might take some adjustment, right? Obviously, the Lord has given you richly all things to enjoy, and he's placed you in a position where you have something, and that's not a bad thing. Because it depends on where your heart is, okay. Can you say yes to God that you'd be content with just those things? Because if you can say yes to God that you'd be content with those things, we are on the right path of of looking at um, unrighteous wealth, looking at the the lesser of the two types of wealth we can have, right? We saw in Luke chapter 6, right? The lesser of the wealth is monetary. Uh, The greater of the wealth is spiritual wealth, right? being mature in the faith, being faithful in your witness, you know, seeing fruit from what you're doing, those kinds of things. So, can you say that you'd be content with just those things? If all you had were the necessities of life, could you agree with God that that was enough? That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. That's why I'm only giving you those two. I think those two, between them, everything you have comes from him. Can you say yes to God that you'd be content with just those things? That's enough at this point to just kind of ponder that. Can you say yes to those things? Can you say together with Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern. Now at last you have received, revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. So in other words, Paul is away from them, and they are ministering to him uh, uh, monetarily, and making sure he has what he needs, taking care of his needs. And he says, you know, I know you were concerned, but you actually acted on it. Not that I speak, he says, from want. In other words, even if you hadn't acted on it, I was okay. Why was I okay, Paul? For I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul had already understood. He had already said yes to God. Can you say yes to God? You be content with just, just um, food and covering. Paul was okay with that. And then he goes on to say, you know, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Isn't that exactly what we're looking for here amongst ourselves? Can we? Are we okay with both of those things? See, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. What's the secret, Paul? Share it with us. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that doesn't mean you can do, I'm going to be a pro athlete, so today I'm going to training and, you know, I'm hoping to go to minicamp, you know, like eight months or whatever. That's not what it's talking about at all. The context of that is I have learned how to deal with prosperity and humble means. I have learned to deal with hunger and abundance. How have I learned to deal with that? Because Christ strengthens me in both of those things, see. Can you say with Paul, I'm okay either way because the Lord is my provision? Because that's how Paul looked at it, right? The Lord's going to take care of me. Even if, even if the Philippians hadn't sent their gift, I was going to be fine because the Lord would take care of me. The Lord owns everything. He'll supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And he will give me the strength to do whatever he wants me to do. Can you say that? Because that's what Paul says, is the key. In all honesty, can you say that? Because if you can see... You're beginning to handle material things in a spiritual manner, and that's an attitude then that God can bless. Now next time we're gonna finish up this uh, this passage, we're gonna look briefly, I hope, from the word on the use of what we have. So priorities, because people always say, well how do I, okay, I've got X number of bills, these are hard, these are hard, you know, um, expenses that every month, this is my nut to crack, I mean, and then I've got X number of things that I'd like to do, and then, I want to set some aside, and I want to take it out of circulation, and I want to give, and I want to make sure I meet immediate needs, and all that kind of thing. So how do I prioritize that? Well, the scripture hasn't left us in the dark about that, okay? And guess what? At the top of the list, it doesn't say giving, okay? Just so that you know that because you have to give out of the, how the Lord's prospered you. And he's prospered, prospered you in relation to uh, you, have this, you have this budget. Now, maybe you've got the budget out of balance, and you may have to look at some things and get rid of some things maybe, or, or live at a little lower level or whatever. But ultimately, he's got some priorities, and we're going to look at that. Uh, and then we'll, we'll I hope that we'll kind of wrap up. There'll be more that we'll look at if we get to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, because there's much more there uh, that Paul brings in. But right now, we'll, we finish that up. We'll move on into... Uh, and we'll go on the rest of the way through this First Corinthians 16, verse by verse. We're going to look at Paul's itinerary, and then he has some final instructions for the church on conduct, and we'll look at those things, and then we'll move on to our next uh, our next book, and that's going to be fun. So let's close in a word of prayer, and uh, just a few announcements, and then we'll uh, be dismissed. Lord, I thank you today for this time to be in your word. We always thank you for that. It's so rich. We're grateful for it. Uh, Lord, I pray again, as I always do, that you will help us to retain the things that, you wish us to understand of, from truth, not anything where I've complicated it in some way or misrepresented it. We know that we're not teaching prosperity theology, only that uh, you have promised to bless those who take care of of, uh, of needs and set some aside. This is just your promise to us. We're not claiming this. We're not saying you owe it to us. These are things that you promised to do. You've got lots of ways to pay back, and it not, might not necessarily include wealth and health, but Lord, we know that you are good and that you have your design on us which is to make us more like your son and so however that is uh, we give you certainly permission which you don't need but we we say in our own will that we wish to be conformed to the image of your son and whatever it takes for that to happen uh, we're grateful because there's coming a day when you'll rapture us and we'll be with you forever that'll be the only thing that matters to us we brought nothing into the world we take nothing out and so lord i pray that we'll keep that in mind as peter said because everything's going to be burned up. Uh, what kind of people should we be? Well, certainly people that don't worry about things that are going to be burned up. And so, Lord, I pray that those would be the kinds of attitudes that you form in us. Lord, help us not to be embarrassed as we someday stand before this wonderful throng around your throne where we had so much and we, we consumed it on ourselves constantly. You've blessed us with these things. These are not bad things. We wouldn't have it apart from you. You've given us richly all things to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with those things themselves, but our attitude certainly is what you measure. And Lord, help our attitude then to be that this all belongs to you. Show me how, how we best use it for your kingdom, to lay up treasure that won't fade away. We thank you for our congregation. We thank you for the generosity that is here. Lord, I'm grateful to be a part of a church that takes care of needs and, and covers immediate needs and does it under the radar constantly without anyone else knowing. Thank you for blessing us with people who know how to who make money and, are, uh, and do well and are also very open-handed. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for th- the way we can meet needs that doesn't have anything to do with whether we can write a check but we can just go and do something for someone that we can do or loan something that we have. Lord, these things, we don't want to hold on to anything. We don't love people and use things and not the other way around. So, Lord, make us these kinds of people, we pray. Thank you for this time that we'll have tonight in the Word with John as we go back to 1 John and the blessing that will be as we come together in fellowship. Thank you for the midweek meal where we'll again break bread together, where we come together in fellowship, which is such an integral part of a close church, of a, of a sincere church, of a loving church, and the ministry that goes on there and the discipleship that goes on afterwards and, and Awana, all those things, Lord, I pray. You'll bless those who are giving them time, giving them their time to do it. Bless the fruit of that time in salvation of souls and and sanctification and walking with you and all this stuff. Build your congregation as you see fit. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.